Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 740 with Rick Pasteur. If your calendar or time feels out of control, like you're not getting it put onto what really matters to you, Rick has got boatloads of solutions. Rick's written a book about productivity tools and really walks the talk when it comes to doing this stuff. So you'll learn one, why your calendar isn't working and how you can fix it. Two, powerful questions to keep you on track. And three, the simple trick to knocking out your biggest tasks. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP740. And if you're hanging out at awesomeatyourjob.com, please check out some of our goodies like the full text transcripts that are all searchable, as well as the gold nugget email summaries, which gives you a quick wisdom from each of the guests in an email you can read in about two or three minutes, as well as unlocking the vault of all 740 of these summaries now. We call those the gold nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Rick's story. Rick Pasteur has always liked experimenting at work. He'll try things out, keep what works, and ditch what doesn't. Try, rinse, repeat. In his time at Blendle, the New York Times-backed journalism startup, Rick steadily refined his methods. That's where Grip was born, a flexible collection of tools and insights that helped the team do their best work. He self-published the book in Dutch in 2019, and Grip became an overnight bestseller in Holland, and Rick's mission today is the same, helping people make smart decisions about their time. He devised his own time between his young family in Amsterdam, giving talks on Grip, his weekly newsletter, Work in Progress, and his startup rise where he's building a next generation calendar app. Big thanks to Rick for sharing his wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And here he is. Rick, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so excited to dig into your wisdom and hear about the book Grip and your startup rise. But first, I think we've got to go back in time a little bit. I understand there was a moment in your life when you received a letter from your mayor as a youngster that made quite an impact. What's the story here? Yeah. Okay. The story is about when I was, I think it was around six. And on my birthday, my sixth birthday, I received a letter from the municipality, like the, the local local enforcement. And uh, it said, thank you, Rick, for cleaning up for cleaning up for us. So as I was uh, young, I really and still do, but I cared about the environment in the city and the local, the local neighborhood, actually. So I started cleaning up stuff when I saw it. And then I'm 
brought it home and then my parents had to take care of it. <laughs> and for years, I thought that this letter was real. Like it was signed from the, from the mayor. <laughs> and then at, at age, I think it was 12 or 13, I, 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 once I brought up this letter, like, hey, it was actually like weird that I got this letter from these, like, how did they do that? And then my parents were like, <laughs> dude, uh, that was fake. That was something that we, we made up. So actually, I spent years thinking that people in the city actually cared about this this kind of stuff that they noticed me and i think if you the reason for for sharing this is that one i always have cared about the idea that there are some rules that uh can be helpful mm -hmm. can be like ideas that that we should care about to to keep things in order and that that brings you something that brings you something some idea of like and you enjoy being in a space that's nice and and neat so that's one idea and the second is that while this was fake this learned me that noticing these small things that people do that are working well can have a huge like a years long effect of how they perceive the world how they think about themselves and stuff like that so since then i have made it a habit to try to notice this stuff and reach out to other people and and share it with them so like, hey, I noticed this and it's really cool. Thank you. Like that sort of thing. I think that kind of stuff. And I think that's, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever like, of course you're producing this podcast and you, and you do other stuff. Like people think that you get bombarded with messages all of the time. And of course uh, you probably get a lot of stuff, but still, I also found that like my, like the book sold over whatever, 70,000 copies here in the Netherlands. And people think that I've like hundreds of emails. Of course, that's like, the number of well-written hmm. and thoughtful emails that you get that someone that researched you or, or someone that really took the time, I can, I can count on, on, on one hand every week. So it's really easy to stand out in that sense. And I found that to be true for also for, for, for the biggest CEOs of the world. So, so it has, has served to me as a trigger to don't hold back in terms of the stuff that I share, also the questions that I ask to these kind of people. Mm -hmm. That's cool. All right. And so, and you haven't held back when it comes to discovering and sharing advice for working smart productivity stuff. Can you tell us what's perhaps one of the most surprising and fascinating or counterintuitive discoveries you've made about this game since you started looking into it? So I think the biggest one for me is that the calendar is a really under, like underlooked aspect for a lot of people. So that has a reason. I think I'm a huge fan of what David Allen wrote in Getting Things Done. And that's, that's a big starting point for a lot of people when, it, when they think about how to structure their, their work. I found that in a time where we spend actually a lot of time in meetings still, and we have a lot of things going on in the calendar, that sometimes there is a disconnect. And that was where I struggled a lot a couple of years ago when, when implementing this. And I found a way of working around that, uh, but actually it starts with the calendar. For me, there was a big shift in terms of this, the, the level of, of sanity that I could achieve while doing something as simple as making sure that the calendar is an actual reflection of how I spend my time. And that since then, that has been some kind of a message that I'm trying to, to preach to, to people around me and which ultimately led to, to writing the book. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so David Allen, for folks who are not familiar, he wrote Getting Things Done, which is fantastic, and we've interviewed him a couple times, including toward the beginning, what a guy, before the show was big enough to be meaningful 
<laughs> for his publicity, uh, episode 15-ish. Thanks, David. And so I recommend listeners uh, check out his work. It's so good. And the general vibe being, hey, download all the stuff out of your brain. It's for having ideas, not for holding them. Exactly. Have them in organized lists. Know what you know your projects and next actions are associated with those projects. And and you'll feel a sense of sort of freedom and things will become unstuck. And and it's it, it's really true. It's I think about it kind of like exercise is it's it really works hmm. and it's also really easy to fall off the wagon and stop doing it exactly because hey more stuff comes at us all the time and so you got to be pretty vigilant and pick yourself up when you do fall hmm. so when you talk about the the calendar and the disconnect was the disconnect you're referring to is your calendar is not actually truthfully <laughs> reflecting or displaying what you're doing with the hours in your life? Is that the disconnect? Yes, there's basically two things. So one is that if you have a sense of the projects and the tasks that you need to accomplish to get these projects done, there's two big things that, that I found that I needed to add to make this system work. And one is to make the connection with when something is going to happen. And of course, what, what David is saying is that there are a certain set of contacts a context where a task can be executed well. Yeah. And then you just start off with this list. But this list is, is endless, of course. And it really does get big. It really gets big. I've got 1,800 items in my OmniFocus inbox. Exactly. And and I have, I have the same. And I feel that when I was discussing this with people, it gets really overwhelming and it never gets done. And especially in a time where there is no clear, like I'm opening the door of my office, I walk in and then I walk, walk out of there at 5 p.m. There is no closure anymore. So we need some boundaries. And if they are not there anymore in the physical world, we need to build them in our, like in a digital world and in our own man management of how we manage time. So the sense of when is it done, it will never get done. Our work is never done. That's true. So artificially, we need something. And I found that in the calendar. So that's one. And two, I found that there's a disconnect between where I am now and where I'm going with this. And for me, that's like, like David is describing this in, in getting things done with this, like the different levels of heights that you're, that you're looking at your life, like different, different thousand foot levels. And I struggled with, with implementing this. So how do I do this on a, like, how does this, how does this link to my day to day stuff? So you have your weekly review, of course, but how does this map out over, like over the bigger things? And that's the second ingredient that I added in the second part of the of the book is basically sh sharing how I do my quarterly goal setting, annual review, and and stuff like that. How do I, how do I keep all this stuff in place? And again, that's the link to okay, I know where I want to go, but when will this happen? Well, and I'm I'm making the link to time again on this level. Okay, well, so that's a great point in terms of when does the work get done? Never because it's endless. And I find, maybe just pause there for a moment, I, I find that just sort of emotionally that's difficult because I really like to win and to feel like I'm winning. And I really don't like to lose or feel like I'm losing. Uh, not that I will like bite your head off if you beat me in Monopoly or something, but I would prefer to win. <laughs> and so it is with, with even more so with sort of my, my projects, my goals, the things that I, I'm trying to hmm. to accomplish. And so then I guess I'm curious, how, how do you know whether it's the course of, of, a, of a day or a week or an hour that, hey, even though the work is endless and, and always coming at me, I can declare victory. I have checked the box and can call this a, a successful you know, day or week. How do you get there? Well, if you zoom out, I think a big part of 
of the way that we live, the stuff that we uh, run into is getting comfortable with the fact that the time on this planet is, is, is limited. And that means that we will find all kinds of ways to think that we have an endless opportunity to change stuff, to fix stuff, to start with things, to do stuff. And I think ultimately being really aware that this day has so many hours and thus forcing me to upfront decide how I'm spending it and then making sure that that at least happens will give me, and that's what I found, that this gives me fulfillment because it's, this gives me a sense of, hey, I've mapped this out and this is what got done. So that's one perspective of looking at it. So that's that's like mapping it out again on to time does not only force me to figure out when I'm starting, but also when I'm done. And that gives me these like this in between these small milestones, these small like runs, like small days within a day where I can say, hey, I, can, I made this within the hour. I'm even faster or I'm, I'm a bit slower, so I need to adapt. So it gives me these, these check-in points in the day. So that's one. And two is, what's the alternative? The alternative is that we assume that, well, we're not living with the fact that the time is limited to us. Mm-hmm. And we never really get close to this. Well, that gives a false sense of opportunity. And also, like, how do you prioritize if there is no if there's no boundaries. So in that sense, bringing that as close to the day as possible. So not thinking in a year all the time, but also in a day really forced me to make the tough decisions, tougher decisions on, okay, is this what I'm, what I'm planning now? Is that really worth my time if I look back on this? Well, most of the time I need to swap things around a lot, actually. And that's intriguing. So that question, is this really worth my time if I, looking back on it in the future? So in, in terms of like, is there a specific articulation of that question or, or maybe that's just it right there. Like, I think a year from now, will I be pleased that I interviewed Rick in this moment? So far, the answer seems to be yes, Rick, nice work. <laughs> and so is that, that's just all there is to it or is, are there some more nuances or layers? Yeah. So I think this is also part of a habit, right? And I think you and, and probably a lot of listeners might be familiar with the idea of doing a weekly check-in with yourself in the form of a review or like in the book, I call this a Friday recap and, and expand on that a little bit. But in, in a sense, I think it's key to be aware that without dedicated moments to sit down and reflect on certain time skills, these insights won't really appear out of thin air, right? We need to mm-hmm. work on that. We need to spend time on mulling this over and thinking about this stuff. Yeah. I think for me that the answer is also a structure where I no longer have to decide that I'm going to do it, but but it it will it, it's part of the structure, so it it happens. Like it's not something that you negotiate with, just like you're not negotiating the fact that there will be a New Year's Eve. Like this is just what's what's there. Like mm-hmm. in that sense, it should be something that's just part of the deal. Yeah, intriguing. So I, I like that. So it, it's just it's just there. It's just in the structure, and I I guess maybe. Hmm. From like a discipline motivation perspective, uh, the first few times probably does require some will to uh, to do it. But then it's just sort of like, well, Fridays at 11 a.m. is just when the recap happens. Exactly. That's just what happens. That's just it. And so yeah. is it just that simple? After a few reps, then it's there? 
I think ultimately there are two ways to look at it. One is there's the, the really habit forming approach where you're looking at the technical parts of how, how will a habit get formed. And, and Atomic Habits is, of course, a great book if you, if you want to dive into a lot of details around how you get yourself motivated and structured. There's also the other angle of what kind of value does this bring, does this bring to my life? And I think, uh, again, for me, what I'm, what I'm doing on a quarterly level where I'm, where I'm taking, what is it, one or two evenings and on a yearly level, one or two full days to think about what happened in the last year and how will this next year look? Those are the times where the value of these weekly sessions really, really sink in. But I also see this if I skip it a week and then the next week I feel I'm actually a worse person for it if I'm not doing it. And I think like mm-hmm. that's where the where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. And I experience that, that there is something lost if I'm not doing it. And that's where I feel this is not a trick. This is not something that I do because I feel it's good. I like I really experience that stuff will fall apart if I'm not doing it. Uh, but but of course there's also a connection between how do you make this super simple? And we have the tendency to make things more complicated if things are not working. And that's, I get that. Like we, we bring in more complicated software if things are, if things is, is not, but actually what really works is the other way around. If things are not working, take at least one piece of the puzzle out and then try it again. Like make it, make it simpler instead of more, more complicated. Yeah. That reminds me of uh, BJ Fogg's work in Tiny Habits. Like how can I make this easier is sort of like the master question. And uh, I think that's that's dead on. Fully agree. Yeah. Well, so well, I want to talk about the book Grip and some of the productivity experiments, but we've already sort of teased a little bit about sort of like the daily plan, the Friday recap, the quarterly, the yearly. Can you just give us a couple key guiding light questions that uh, you you prompt yourself with at each of these intervals? Okay. So on a weekly level, I'm thinking about hey. Um, what happened in the last week? What made me proud? What went well? Mm-hmm. And then what are some of the things that did not go as well as I thought they went? But also on a weekly level, it's way more tactical. It's way more like I'm tapping each item in my calendar to see if there's any loose ends. I like I follow the st- structure that also David Allen brought us. Like, hey, go over each project and make sure that there's a next action. Like this is a basic mm-hmm. checklist. And then if I move to the quarterly level i'm I'm specific on using quarters because a month is way too short and a year is too long uh, for setting any type of goals so that's why i'm using quarters also it links really well with how a corporate structure works so you can also fold in your your work plans uh, a lot easier and then i'm asking questions like on the level of one goal so how did my goals go did i manage them and if not why on category level for each quarter i have a couple of questions around Hey, am I like in my work? What kind of stuff do I actually want to spend my time on if I'm purely reasoning from my own perspective? But also shifting towards more personal questions like, hey, think about your friends, think about your family. How how do you evolve in this uh, in this network of of people, and and what what do you bring to each of the each of these members of your family, friends, and, and group around you? So going over these set of questions, zooming out on a quarterly level and also on a, on a yearly level, you see that gradually it, like it moves from tactical to strategic. Where do I want to go as a person, if that makes sense? That's cool. All right. Well, so let's hear, it sounds like we've already hit a lot of it, but what's sort of like the big idea or main thesis behind your, your book, Grip, which will soon be released in English to uh, 
us Yankees, uh, <laughs> and, and let's hear about some of the intriguing productivity experiments that uh, are inside of it. Yeah. So basically, what I've done is I wrote a guide that I would have found super useful if it was my first job. And it contains a structure for having a better week. And that starts with the three components, calendar, task manager, email or slash communication, and this Friday recap or weekly review. That's the first part of it. And basically what I, what I found missing is that there's a lot of books and ideas that zoom in on one of these specifics and give you a really helpful tool. But how does this fit in to the life that I have to like have to manage? There's a lot of stuff going on. And how does this fit into the Slack channels that are also there and WhatsApp that's also there? I need to deal with this. How do I make this happen? So that's the first part of the book. And then, of course, the second part builds up on builds on top of that with the goal setting. Like goal setting to me is like a lot of people get mad if I if I start talking about setting goals because they How dare you? They have like, yeah, indeed, I fully agree. But like they they have this instant negative response because people are using goals in the wrong way. Like they're used on them, not with them. It's like mm. something that's that gets managed for them. Got you. Here are your goals, Rick. For this quarter, you will be doing these goals. <laughs> it's more of a, it's a stick. And what I also hear is that it's something that is spoken about a lot. Like you discuss it a lot at work. And then ultimately, of course, a couple of weeks in, you get completely different directions from men. Like we're not able to stick to them as well. Like, so of course it brings in a negative response. So I, my goal was to give you something that you can actually play with that brings you something as a person. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. And so you've done some experiments, huh? Let's hear some of the results. Yeah. So one of the things that I love, and it, this this is not rocket science, right? But one of the things that I'm a huge fan of is how can you break things down to the point that you do them today? And this is something that I've seen for work for a lot of people. Uh, but of course, we have these big dreams and big ideas. And ultimately, what I found, the, one of the first things that I've, that I've done aside from the main job that I had at the startup back then is that I found that there was, it was hard to do a specific type of research in the team. And people were always saying like, yeah, we we need more time to do research and complaining basically about, well, the decisions that were made. And then I thought like, what, okay, how can I break this down as much as possible? Uh, We were building a new version of the onboarding of one of the apps that I was working on. And then onboarding meaning, well, the process of signing up and then uh, getting a new account. So then I thought, okay, let's, what can I do every single day? Well, let me review one specific onboarding for the, for another app and then write a, f- a brief blog post about it and post that. So ultimately after, after a month, I had a, quite a collection actually mm-hmm. of work, which was super simple to do. Like it's, it was precisely in my, in my circles of stuff that I found interesting, that I'm good at, that give me a good feeling and also was, was, had a good mix with and edge with the stuff that we were doing at work. And so this is one example, which ultimately led to writing an article for A List Apart, which is, a, which is one of the blogs that I, was a, was, I still am a fan of for years, which I find super exciting. So then one thing leads to another that also led ultimately to the second follow-up project, which was write a newsletter for every single day of the was 2016. And that led to ultimately writing the book because I had this, this material. And then of course, ultimately people start asking me like, hey, how do you manage this? Well, then I 
point back to the starting point, which is just writing for 15 minutes a day. Uh-huh. And that we all have time for, right? So I think that was one of the one of the experiments that I started with super small and then, well, kept on improving and kept on building upon, which is one of the core things that I still do every single day. Well, that's so fun. So, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just imagining in your workplace, like, like, oh boy, Rick's the onboarding expert. So, like, he's the master of onboarding. And it's like, okay, so I signed up for an app a day and wrote about what happened when I got on board for 15 minutes. And I did that for, you know, 20 days, a total of five hours. And now I am like the almighty onboarding. <laughs> but is that fair? I'm just sort of making assumptions. That is fair. This is completely fair. But also, <laughs> as soon as you do this yourself, you start looking at the other stuff that gets published, get written, and people get idolized for with different eyes. Because sure, there are some things that are truly a ton of work, mm-hmm. of course. But a lot of things are also a culmination of, of, of tiny bits and bytes every single day. And uh, if you know that, then you also know that well, like if you publish hundreds of podcast episodes like you did, people start asking you, how do you actually manage this? Of course, it's one episode at a time. Right. That's right. Yep. Like one step at a time. And I think, well, you underestimate what we can do if we do this for a longer period of time, uh, which is super powerful, I guess. That's true. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop myself from ranting about how when you Google something, all 10 results look suspiciously similar. Often, not always, but often it's like, I know what you're doing, everybody. I know what you're doing. And it irritates me anyway. Are you saying with that these type of habits are causing this, this? No, I'm just saying you talk about you look at a body of work with a different set of eyes after producing something. It's true in that I know that there are SEO articles out there saying Google something, look at the top 10 results and then repackage them. And hopefully your domain authority or whatever will, will push you to be on the top results. Now you get some traffic. Well, well, thanks. You've, you've made the world no better. And I find that annoying. That's my hot take. Anyway, not super relevant, but... uh... (laughs) No, I get what you're saying. And I think what is true in that is that if you use any type of these these kind of hacks to make yourself do stuff, it also matters what you then do, of course. And the direction matters. And I think this is also why I love the saying of of Stephen Covey, you can run up a ladder as fast as possible. uh, But if this this ladder is set against the wrong wall, why are you doing it? Uh, Exactly. What's the ultimate perspective? And I think this is what happens in a lot of stuff that you can just copy, copy and paste tips and tricks. What this, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, well, the combined effort of, of small steps every day can really surmount to a huge body of work. Absolutely. That, well, other people will recognize, but that's not the goal. That's not really the goal. It's the goal is like, how can you move this mountain for yourself? Well, yeah. And I guess fundamentally, it just feels more generous and and loving in the world like like you've created something that is truly useful as opposed to something that's just useful for for your own sake like okay hey i managed to get some clicks but i've i've made the world no better now what yeah it is just sits me the wrong way but uh anyway the bit by bit but also the other thing i wanted to say about that was i remember back in my consulting days when we were fresh recruits and we would look at people building these elaborate Excel models and they show us an example like, oh, hey, yeah, so here's something I made. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, that's insane. There's like 50 different sheets and they all interrelate and you can automatically update one assumption then it flows into all these other places. And it was just like, 
wildly intimidating. And uh, but then they always said the same thing. It's like, well, I mean, hey, this didn't start out that way. I mean, one day we said I had to figure out this one thing. And I said, okay. So we had a very rough one sheet thing. And then we said, well, hey, actually, there's some really dynamic assumptions working underneath it. So I said, okay. So I made two other pages to reflect that, which then linked to the first one. And they said, well, hey, well, there's another section of things. And so again, it just sort of builds bit by bit. And then when it's unveiled in its entirety, whether it's a whole book or a glorious Excel model or, or whatever, it's like, oh my gosh, that's insane. Maybe I could never do that. It was like, well, no one can. And, and one day it, uh, it grows up bit by bit and, and then it becomes something, something awesome. Yeah. I do want to add to one of the previous things that you mentioned on, is it actually worthwhile what you're doing? That I do tend to believe that most of this does not happen out of malintent or out of purposefully making something that's not useful or just useful for yourself. I think ultimately we do want to build or make something, most people, that is in some way deeply useful for one ourselves, but also for others. And I think if there's in your life no structure around how do you gather insights that help you course correct Who is your sounding board in that sense? Who are the people around you that can speak to you about this? Who do you like use as a sounding board to reflect on how like kind of ethical and moral choices you're making? I believe that this is also a hugely important part where you can one, stand out from the pack and two, Mm. can have huge effects on the direction that you're following. If there's like, if you're listening to this and you have, you don't have an answer to this, you don't have a a way of way to think about this to deconstruct these issues you're you're not course correcting yeah and that's when you're missing out i believe yeah that, that's well said in terms of if you don't have something <laughs> some some guideposts or values or, or or people to balance things off of and you just go down an optimizing shortcutty pathway to maximize something you're going to get into some gross results i don't know if this is true but I think I heard a conversation with uh, Bethany McLean and Seth Godin, and one of them said that if you continually split test AB, what gets better results and clicks, mm-hmm. uh, a website, it will always devolve into porn. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but uh, there is a kernel of truth, I think, to it in terms of like what's more exciting, like mm, in terms of mm-hmm. capturing a click, mm-hmm. if it's more clickbaity or provocative, it does tend to, in the short term, get more people to curious enough to take a look. So yeah, that's a great that's a great point about zooming out and getting the the broad perspective. But I want to zoom back in. So with calendars, you noted a disconnect and so you and you've taken it uh to a whole nother level here in terms of uh you're not just using your calendar a little bit differently. You have raised three million dollars, I see congratulations, to build a full blown new bit of calendar software. What's the scoop here? Yeah. So if you think about when you do your best work, if you if you think about when you want to be focused, when you want to have your meetings, you will probably have some idea and, uh, and your listeners will probably have, have some idea too, otherwise you won't be listening to this. But the question now is, okay, think about the rest of your team. Think about your teammates. Think about the people you possibly manage, the people that you interact with within the company. You probably have no idea. Or maybe, you know, okay, this guy is working mostly late shifts. This is not a morning person. Okay, but that's as far as it goes. With Rise, what we want to do is not just build the calendar as an Excel sheet that you fill in. 
but actually we want to we want to fold these signals into a calendar that's probably actually done in the last year we built a, a scheduling engine that takes this stuff into account so personal profile uh, but also the meetings and stuff that you're attending already and if you request a time like if you say hey i want to meet for one hour with colleague a b and c in the next week we will schedule that on a time that's as saving as as many focus time minutes as possible for the whole team on average and so that's the biggest thing we don't just want to build a pretty calendar which is something that uh, i think we do but like that's not the, the the core because the gist of it is we want you to be in and out but actually want to want to help you preserve as much time to focus on on what actually matters but also have better meetings because they are scheduled at times where you can perform at their best mm-hmm. and that's something that's also linking back to the book, but also and in, in, in how you structure your week is that we arrived in a time where we just assume that we perform on this very same level on Monday mornings as Thursday afternoons, or at least we expect that of ourselves. Well, that's of course not true. And the same is what we're doing on a year, like on a scale of a year. We just assume and, and expect from ourselves, from our team, that we perform at our best at all times. Well, that that's not how nature works, right? So there's times where we are just not so focused as we could possibly be. There's times in the year where we need to uh, re-energize. And I think those are things that we actually know that are proven by science, that are backed by research and stuff that we want to fold into this engine to make sure that, that, you don't, that you no longer have to think about this stuff, but actually have, uh, have a calendar guide you to having better days and better weeks. That's certainly intriguing. I guess I'm wondering if there are, if there are low importance meetings that you uh, <laughs> you can schedule for people's least juicy times. And although I don't know if anyone hosting a meeting likes to think of it as low importance, but sometimes they so, might. You know, it's like yes. hey, these are just these are just the updates that we're obliged to do by law or something. There's one way to think about that, and that is there is no way for a team to set any type of guardrails about how much time you spend in meetings. So there is basically just saying, hey, can we put it in this week or not? Like, that's what we were thinking about. So that's also hard to think about more weeks because there's just so much data to consider if you think about just scheduling in a meeting. And you say low priority meetings. Well, like we know this, but it's just too big of a mental hurdle to think about the other possibilities, but that we can do. So what what happens in RISE is if you schedule a meeting and the meeting load for the team crosses the boundary that you set as a team, it will suggest, hey, possibly move this to next week. And very, like, in a lot of situations, that's fine. Like, there's a lot of stuff that can wait. But I guess I'm curious then, in terms of for our own selves, maybe Rise does some of this, what are the best times to work? And to what extent are there universals versus individual personal preferences? And and how do we masterfully deduce those and work with them? I think roughly there's, and this is not rocket science, but roughly there's two types. There's the morning owls and there's the late night, the people that perform better late, later in the day. Mm-hmm. And I think if you take those as archetypes, you can split those uh, again into two groups. But roughly speaking, there is half of the population that uh, really wants to have their focus time early in the day uh, and have their meetings maybe a little bit start around 11 in the morning or just after lunch and then continue into the afternoon. And there's another group that prefers to have their meetings in the morning, so to get them done and have their peak time around 3 or 4 p.m. and then continues later in the day. And additionally to this, there's also, of course, a group that is really productive in the evenings while there is no distractions, there is no things going on. 
what you do see is that you can ask yourself if that happens because of the distractions or because they are truly more productive at that time. So I think that's an interesting thing that we're going to unpack, especially in the next couple of years when people are and will be way more experimenting with uh, disconnecting the work, the usual work times mm-hmm. and figuring out more like, hey, but if there's no construct of an office anymore, and if we can let go of the times more, like like you need to appear at nine in Slack and then disappear from Slack in uh, at, at six, what will happen to our productivity if that's truly possible? But in a sense, I, I see two big groups. So either one in the morning or in the afternoon to focus. Mm, okay, cool. Well, before we hear about some of your favorite things, can you give us maybe a top do and a top don't in the realm of calendar, task manager, and communications? Okay, so top do would be one, make sure that what you do is reflected in this calendar. So uh, one, it's meetings, but two, add to that preparation time, processing time, travel time. Those are three that are very often overlooked. And of course, you are not the person that is not preparing their meetings, but all the other people are. So, mm-hmm. but we can actually give, uh, set a good example and make sure that we have the preparation time booked in. Otherwise, it won't, won't happen. And then connect to that, make sure that what you, like what you're actually working on, so all your tasks, your biggest tasks that need to happen should be in the calendar. That's what I absolutely believe. Mm-hmm. That gives a signal to the team, that gives a signal to the people that try to book something in. But also, it's a huge thing for yourself to see a notification pop up and say, you need to work on this right now because now there is no excuse anymore. So I'm really saying, make sure that what, what's in there, that's also something that you're not negotiating with anymore. So it's really something that you should actually do. So that's really the do part. And the other two parts is what you already mentioned. If it's in your, like, you should not use your brain for storage. Like if that, of course, that's a mantra that people hear on this channel a lot, but that's really something that you should not do because you should use your, your brain as working memory to focus on what's at hand, right? Mm. And then the final one for me would be schedule time for communication and let that happen at a set time because one, one that's a skill. Communication is, a, is something that we value, like we're not cutting it out, but very often what happens, of course, we do our our chats and our email while on the go, while we're, I don't know, in line in the grocery store. And, and of course, we're not reading things well. We're not having, like, we're not having our full attention. And of course, stuff runs off the rails with that, right? Because we're not reading. So I, I would suggest book off time, like block off time in your calendar to do this communication. If we really value it as part of our work, it should be there. All right. Well, Rick, now can you share a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring. My key quote that I return to is the one, of course, from old President Eisenhower. Like, there is stuff that's urgent, but not important. Most of the things that are urgent are not important. And most of the things that are important are not urgent. And uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's something that, like, every day is challenging me so much to really think about if someone puts something on my plate, is that truly because it's like, should I accept this because it really fits where I'm going? Or do I do this because, well, really someone else requests this of me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Okay. So the one that, I'm, that I find really intriguing is still the study that's about how much time do we need to return to our tasks when we are 
disrupted by something or when, when we are disturbed by something. And there is a study that's, that's often quoted, which is uh, that we need, what is it now, 24 minutes, 23 minutes? I was thinking the Microsoft study, 24 minutes. You got something fresh for me, No, Rick? no, we all talk about this study. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel that I need this amount of time to return to the task. But still, we talk and think about it and um, we use this to... I don't know, take like take certain directions in how we shape our days and how we like so I, I feel like this is something that I hope in the brief like short time, I hope near time we will discover that there's actually something else happening. And how can we in a world where where so much is happening around us and we are disrupted a lot, can we find a way where we're not dependent on our own discipline so much? to uh, get done what needs to get done. So there's these paradigms where, of course, if you look at deep work, for example, where, and actually part of, of Rise is built on top of that, you need as many undisturbed blocks of time to really do work that's important. And that's the idea that, that most of us start from. But the question is, is that something that, can we invent something that really breaks with this pattern that allows us to combine both the fact that we are available instantly with the fact that we can produce meaningful work if we are still like in a way uh, connected and sometimes interrupted by something. That's something that I'm fascinated about. Mm -hmm. And a favorite book? One that I reread a lot is one of the earliest productivity books, and that's How to Live on 24 Hours a Day. I don't know if you know it. Mm. It's a really thin one, and I think it's 1997 something like that, that it was written. And I love it because he's basically describing that we tend to focus our work in like eight hours uh, a day. And we, w we have like around eight hours of rest. And then still there's quite a lot of time left. And he's basically saying, okay, if we can, instead of focusing on how can we make these eight hours at work more productive, if we think, how can we meaningfully spend those other eight hours that's, of course, a 2x improvement, mm -hmm. which is really hard to do with incremental, really small changes in know, our day-to-day -day software and our to-do list and our hacking, our, our kind of stuff. And I think this is, to me, a really useful reminder that I need to be conscious about or can be conscious about this other segment of my day as well. Mm -hmm. And a favorite tool? Yeah, well, the calendar is a, is a, is an easy one for me. Like for me, that's something that I begin the day with and end the day with. I'm actually on the first version of uh, of Rise now, which is pretty nice. And then connected to that, uh, I'm also a huge OmniFocus fan. So mm -hmm. that's my my go to uh, task manager. And uh, favorite habit? Favorite habits. Favorite habits would be for me that we have been doing a, a smoothie every single day for mm -hmm. I don't know ten years. <laughs> every morning, I make this. What's in the smoothie, Rick? We have to know. It's all veggies. So, and, and we started off, and I think this is, again, something that you can, like, you have to ease in a little bit because, like, I have some friends that drink the stuff that we make and they're like, what the, what are you drinking? Because <laughs> uh, this is uh, disgusting. But, like, <laughs> I do feel that while I cannot prove this, that this has a lot of long-term a healthy effects on uh, on my energy during the day, but also long-term, uh, what kind of stuff do I consume and do I get the proper amount of nutritional value in my, in my body? So we started off with 
a lot of fruit and then over time gradually replace fruit by more more vegetables and uh, that has been something that's right well, i would say something that the longest running habit that i've been doing actually and so let's see what's a like this morning what was the recipe in terms of vegetables yeah Okay, so there is the fruit that's in there is, uh, is uh, unpeeled bananas because in the peel of the banana, there is most of the fiber, actually. Hmm. So I wash the banana and then put it in. There is, what is it, linseed, I, I guess? What, how do you call it okay. in there? There is carrots, there is spinach, there is kale, there is avocado. Okay. Yeah, it's the same, huh? Avocado, mm -hmm. yeah. So avocado is in there, there, and for flavor, I uh, use cacao. Is it in Dutch? Oh, cacao. cacao. Yeah. Chocolate. Chocolate. Then, of course, the pure uh, biological version, which is in powder. All right. And spirulina. Mm -hmm. That's something. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And water. Uh, and that's it. There you go. Cool. All right. Yeah. And, and tell us, is there a key nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote back to you often. Yeah. So what they're saying is. The first thing that they discover when they start to put in the work in the calendar saying, I have way too much on my plate. So how do I like give me a tip to to compress it all in? And of course, the answer is there is no way like there mm -hmm. is no way that's happening. And that's exactly the exercise that you should go through, because now you start to see that it will never all fit and you need to start to make the decisions that matter. All right. And if folks want to learn more, or get in touch. Where would you point them? I'm quite active on Twitter, so I'm, that's where I'm sharing my stuff. Uh, there's also, so that's Rick Pastor on Twitter. That's also where I refer to my newsletter and the other stuff that I'm working on, but that's the place to find me. Okay. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I would say that being diligent about how you spend your time, not only on a weekly basis, but I would challenge the people, especially from this podcast, to also spend time on the longer horizon. And not just following what's offered in the workplace, but consciously thinking about what's your system, your structure there, because that's where you find the real impact. All right, Rick, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you much luck and fun with the book and with Rise and all your adventures. Thank you so much for having me. I really loved what Rick had to say about your calendar. Is it actually a reflection of where you spend your time? Because often, calendars look like meeting, 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 absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's quite misleading in terms of you don't have these hours of space of the day where you're doing nothing, chilling, sleeping, playing video games, like nothing. In fact, you're up to stuff. And if you want to make sure you're up to the right stuff that really moves where you want to be moving in terms of your goals that you're setting quarterly, then make sure your calendar is reflecting that and you've got that stuff scheduled right in there. Great stuff from Rick. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP740. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.